head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a early Wednesday edition of New York, New York with yours truly. JJ, John Jastrzemski, we are right here on the Ringer Podcast Network and a lot cooking on this first Wednesday show of 2022. And unfortunately, as we move closer and closer to Sunday, the storyline involving meaningful football and significant football out the window. What you do have, though, is this overarching question surrounding, well, is Sunday going to be the last time we see Joe Judge patrolling the sideline for the New York Giants? You take that with all of the coaching rumors that are going to be moving and shaking over the next few days, and it creates some interesting conversation. And the rumor of the night that had me thinking a little bit, fantasizing a little bit. The rumor that was floated out regarding Jim Harbaugh possibly wanting out of Michigan and maybe having his eyes on the Vegas Raider job. Now, he had some ties to the Raiders, spent a little bit of time coaching with the Raiders before he made his mark, going into college, doing what he wanted to do. And that's an appealing job for a lot of different reasons on a lot of different levels. And Harbaugh, of course, has ties to the West Coast. But if Jim Harbaugh is there for the taking, the Giants got to make a call. This is not your prototypical college coach. He's been much maligned at times at Michigan. But his NFL record, it is stupendous. He took the San Francisco 49ers to three straight NFC title games And nobody's exactly looking at Alex Smith or Colin Kaepernick like they're Patrick Mahomes or that they're Aaron Rodgers, for goodness sakes. Harbaugh's a badass. He worked in the NFL. This is not Urban Meyer coming 
where you have no idea if he's going to be able to translate. Harbaugh, in my estimation, would be able to translate, would give the Giants instant credibility. If that possibility is out there, I'm all for it. Now, this is the reality setting in. I don't think Jim Harbaugh's leaving Michigan. I know he ended up taking less money last year. This has all the makings of Jim Harbaugh looking to get a new contract from the university. And I think his power play is going to work. They finally beat Ohio State. They made it to the college football playoff. Michigan's got a ton of money to spend. You get a guy like Stephen Ross involved, he'll basically take the check and, and blow him over if need be. I don't think Harbaugh ends up back in the NFL. But if he's kicking the tires, you make the call. The Giants need a new head coach. They need a clean house across the board. You want credibility? A guy like Jim Harbaugh is going to give you credibility. Okay. You got that going on. I found that intriguing. Then you had the Knicks tonight. Knicks needed a win. They're in this stretch of games, playing a lot of teams that are neck and neck with them within the Eastern Conference. You have the two back-to-back against the Boston Celtics on Thursday and Saturday. Pacers are not a good team. You lost to them earlier in the year. You could not lose this game tonight at Madison Square Garden. Thankfully, the Knicks and their two best players showed up and showed up in a big way. I felt like, now maybe you felt the same way if you're a Knicks fan, that this was vintage Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. This is the Julius Randle we watched for all last year. He was spectacular tonight. He comes off the COVID list. You saw what the Knicks looked like without him over the last two days. They needed Randle. The contract may frustrate you. His arc as a player maybe is going to frustrate you. This team right here, right now, needs Julius Randle. There's no getting around that. Tom Thibodeau made the comparison the other day. It's like a backup quarterback. You all want to see the backup quarterback, but when, you know, he ends up going into the game, it's not as good as what you got. Kind of right about that. Kind of right. Randle looked fresh. He looked in shape. And my favorite thing about what he was doing tonight, he was putting the ball on the floor. He was hitting a mid-range shot. You guys know I love the new age stuff. A lot of it. Not all of it, but a lot of it. I'm an old soul at heart, but I like a lot of this new age analytics that is coming to sports. Like the three-point shot. I get it. I understand the revolution, the numbers. But for a guy like Julius Randle, you're not hitting a three? Get in the mid-range. Go to work. It worked pretty damn well for you last year. And it was a thing of beauty here against the Pacers. He was unguardable from the mid-range. Knicks shot it terribly from three tonight. But they got better looks. They moved the basketball. Randall made big plays. And Barrett was spectacular. I mean, Barrett in the first half of the game. This is the best I've seen from R.J. Barrett since November. First time in the Knicks' careers, Barrett and Randall both go for 30 points. It's a good building block game. This does not proclaim that the Knicks now have found it. They're back. No, 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 no. Let's cool the Jets. Go play well against the Celtics. But they needed this win. 10-point win over the Pacers. Job well done. Got all that going on. And then tomorrow, the return of the unvaccinated. I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but I'm serious. Kyrie Irving is back for the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm rather intrigued. 
because we have not seen anything like this. I mean, you tell me, when have we had a situation where you got a guy playing on the road, unable to play at home, yet it seems like everybody's kind of buying into the idea. I think it's Brooklyn having a ton of guys on the COVID list, then having a ton of injuries, and you kind of hit like this dog day portion of the NBA schedule. Well, you know what? Some guys need a blow. The idea that Kyrie Irving maybe could go and get you 35 to 40 points in some of these road games, it's going to make the Brooklyn Nets a better team. So I get why they are welcoming him back. But is it clunky? Is it awkward? Is there uncertainty to how this whole situation is going to play out? You can best believe the answer to that question is yes. But I'm here for it. And the Nets need to find a way to get Kyrie on the court by the end of this year playing in all the games. Because if they don't, I don't think they have enough to go and win an NBA title. Durant's spectacular. Mills has helped them a ton. Harden is rounding in the form. Great. They need Kyrie Irving if they want to get to the top of the mountain. So, first time we've seen him since last year in the postseason. And go to work, big boy. You've been sitting there long enough. You've been pissing enough people off. Don't go five for 25 tomorrow night. Go and give me 30-plus points. Go torch the Indiana Pacers who just played tonight at Madison Square Garden. I can't wait to see how all this shakes out. We got a loaded show for you. I figure with Kyrie's return, we might as well welcome back one of the premier broadcasters in sports. He's that good. And he's a dear friend of mine. So we like having him on the show as often as possible. The great Iron Eagle in a matter of moments. We got voicemails coming up. Sammy Panayanovich is going to give us some odds for the national title and some of the uh, NFL awards and futures and all that good stuff. So we got you covered every which way. The Birdman, the great Iron Eagle, is up next. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold, slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. So I figured with all the craziness surrounding Kyrie and the fact that the NFL playoffs are right around the corner, it, it, it's been a while since we welcomed in one of my longtime friends. I think he is hands down one of the best in the business, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm annoyed he's only done one Dolphin game this year on television, but neither here nor there. Ian Eagle, the legend that you are. How are you, my friend? Hey, JJ. Great to talk to you, bud. And we were talking about this off air a moment ago. I just got off the Peloton. We were trying to finagle when we were going to have this conversation. The next time we have a chat, maybe I will have the technology within the apartment to do a shower podcast. I'm working on that, Ian, just but for you. To me, that would be groundbreaking. The The space is getting packed, as we know. A lot of people are, are trying to get in the podcast space. You would separate yourself from the crowd. You do a shower podcast daily. 
that's next level material. I'm going to say I could even one-up Simmons and Russillo <laughs> and some of the heavy hitters here, you know? And maybe Simmons will give me some of that net worth if I can find a way to finagle the technology for all of us at The Ringer to be able to do shower podcasts. And yeah. not that you need it, but I will give you the credit if indeed that happens. Well, I appreciate it. I really didn't think it was going to come out this way. But now that we're on the topic, I do have a podcast coming out in 2022. I will be doing all podcasts from a bidet. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You that's never the know whole podcast. Gonna, that's all I'm going to say. You never know where it's going to go with Iron <laughs> Eagle and John Zastrzewski. You never know where it's going to go. Um, I do know where it's going to go for the Brooklyn Nets. They got Kyrie Irving coming back. Ian, you've been around the Nets. You've been around sports doing games for a long, long time. I've never seen a situation like this. The idea of Kyrie Irving playing games on the road, but unable to play play games at the Barclays Center. They need him. He's a spectacular talent. Yep. But is this something that you think is going to go swimmingly for Brooklyn? Or do you think the temptation of seeing Kyrie on the court, playing road games, and then not having him, let's say, if you're playing at Barclays the next night, is that only going to add to the frustration of the situation? Well, it's certainly a unique situation. Nothing that I can remember in sports that has circumstances surrounding it quite like this. Look, my sense of it is if Kevin Durant is on board, you're good to go. It's that simple. And KD is on board. He wants Kyrie Irving involved. I don't know all of the particulars, but I would venture to say that the Nets never thought they were going to be in this position, whether it was based on Kyrie eventually getting the vaccine and avoiding all of this, or that they would get some kind of clearance from New York City and the mandates before they ever came down. Boston has a similar setup, but athletes are excluded. Other cities are building towards what we're seeing in New York City in regards to uh, the protocols, but athletes normally can get around it. In fact, you know, there was a possibility that they could get around it because Kyrie Irving lives in New Jersey. He doesn't live in New York City. And eventually they expanded the mandate to include the tri-state area. So I'm not sure that Kyrie and his camp and the Nets ever thought it would come to this, but this is where we are in this uh, wild setup Right now in professional sports, Kyrie Irving is scheduled to play road games only for the Brooklyn Nets. You mentioned Durant being on board. The sense you get around the team, the head coach, the other guys on the team, uh, is it the same sort of deal in welcoming him back? Yes. Uh, I think they are in unison at this point that the team needs him, requires him, that it would be a positive thing for the team. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out in terms of days off and sitting certain guys, Harden and Durant, are logging a lot of minutes. The goal here is to win a championship. The goal is not to have a great regular season. The goal is to figure out what your rotation looks like and how you can get your guys ready for a championship run. So even in the frustration of the last few games, a three-game losing streak, blown leads to Philadelphia and the Clippers, wire-to-wire -wire loss to uh, the hard-playing Memphis Grizzlies. 
I don't think there's an overreaction that's needed at this point, but there are concerns. And the concerns are they lean so heavily on Duran and Harden at times that you're asking a lot in the month of January and February and March. And then you get to April when these things really count and May and June, you don't know what effect these games have on later in the season, the mileage that these players are putting on their bodies. So ultimately what I could see, I've not been told this, but what I could see is Durant getting an off day on a road game, Harden getting an off day on a road game, and Kyrie shouldering that responsibility. Fresh body, back in action, highly motivated, highly talented, magical in his skills, and they mix and match and get through the regular season and set themselves up for an extended playoff run. I said this at the time, Ian. Patty Mills is going to be a rock star for them in the postseason. That guy just has an it factor about him. I know he's coming off a terrible game last night. That doesn't concern me. Who cares? That guy in big situations, yep. if you're doubling Durant, if you're taking the ball away from James Harden, when I think about like the closeout lineup for Brooklyn in the fourth quarter of games, that's a dude I want on the floor. He's been there. He's done that. He's played on winning teams. That was such a slam dunk pickup for Brooklyn. I love Patty Mills. Yeah, it's been one of the best signings of the offseason. They've asked a lot of him. He's played in every game. He's the only net who has played in every game. He and Blake Griffin are the only nets who have not tested positive for COVID. Uh, They've got tiger blood. They've avoided it somehow. And what they are asking of Patty Mills right now is not what they're going to be asking of him come playoff time. He is supposed to be an off-the-bench sniper for this team give that second unit a lot of energy, space the floor, which has been an issue the last few games. Patty Mills not making shots. Joe Harris not in the lineup. That's the other part of the equation. Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris are going to feel like midseason acquisitions for a team that's gotten accustomed to playing without them. And those are two major difference makers. Patty Mills has been terrific. He brings such a positive energy and spirit as well. And the championship pedigree, he's done it in big spots. We still get the sense Milwaukee is Brooklyn's biggest strength in the Eastern Conference. I know Chicago's been lights out. I wish the Knicks signed DeMar DeRozan. It's game winner after game winner. I still don't know if I'm ready to buy that team come playoff time. And listen, I, and I gave him out as an under. I couldn't have been more wrong there. At no. least I gave out the Warriors as an over. So it kind of kind of <laughs> evens out as far as that goes. One really good prediction, one really bad prediction. But is it still Milwaukee in your eyes, or are you buying a Chicago or a Miami or somebody else in the conference? Yeah, I mean, I'm buying Chicago because my eyes don't deceive me. They play extremely hard, and sometimes you just get a really good mix of players. It works. We've talked about it many times, JJ, when you look at a team on paper before a season starts, you go, wow, I, I really can visualize this working. And then it doesn't work. The Lakers, as an example not working. It's just not the right mix of talent. The Bulls, on the other hand, it's working. DeRozan came highly motivated. Most people forget. DeRozan was a highly popular figure in Toronto. They made the deal for Kawhi Leonard, and they made the right deal. They won a championship from it, but they gave up a very important piece, and I think DeRozan, who handled it incredibly well, went to San Antonio. He could have just rode off into the sunset in anonymity, but he didn't. He kept playing hard. He kept putting up 20 points per game. I think Greg Popovich walked away very impressed with DeRozan, what he brings on a daily basis. 
he signs a rather large contract, 80 million bucks, three years with the Chicago Bulls. And most people, JJ, during the offseason, tag that as one of the worst signings in the league based on the money. It's turned into one of the best signings in the league. Levine playing at an extremely high level. Lonzo Ball has worked through the kinks and has become a gifted floor leader. So I'm buying them. Uh, obviously, you get to the playoffs, it's a little bit different, but I just think they play so hard for Billy Donovan. It, it's working, and they lost a big player in Patrick Williams who was going to be a major defender for them. Milwaukee, yes, still a major threat because they've got Giannis Adetokounmpo, and they've got the championship knowledge now of what to do and how to do it. Miami, they're going to be there really well coached. Cleveland has been one of the best stories in the NBA, too. JJ, what Jared Allen is doing with the Cleveland Cavaliers, given $100 million, earning every last bit of it. The Cavaliers have been a fun team to watch, and the East is really deep. You're not going to get a, uh, a gimme in the first round this year in the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia has come on strong of late. They still have Joel Embiid, and although the Ben Simmons situation has been a complete mess, they still also have this feeling of being disrespected, and Embiid is He's the most dominant big man in the NBA today. Guy on, got to do a little football. Um, you did the Bills-Patriot game a few weeks ago, and you would go up to me. I had Buffalo every which way. Yep. I thought they would avenge that Monday night wacky Western New York game when Mac Jones only threw three passes. But I think there's a very good chance, Ian, that we are going to get that matchup next week in the wildcard round. I, I don't know how the seeding is going to play out yet. That still remains to be seen. But I've done some permutations of my own. I've done a little math. <laughs> Buffalo is going to beat the Jets. No shock of air. New England is not losing to the Miami Dolphins twice, especially with Miami having nothing to play for. So I think we get that game for a third time. Do you think it's far closer to what we saw in Western New York, where Buffalo's offense was just completely limited by the conditions, which who knows, we might get again? Or is the Josh Allen freak factor, which you got to witness, he was the best player on the field. The Patriots had no answer for him. He made so many special plays. Do you think ultimately he would end up being the difference if we get round three Bills, Pats? JJ, it was Herculean what we saw from Josh Allen. All the things that we thought we would see throughout the season from Allen, we saw in that one game. And it happened to be the biggest moment of the year for Buffalo based on who they were playing against, what was at stake in winning the division, to do it in Foxborough the way that they did it. And the fact that it was him, it was his style, all the things you love about him were on display. When he needed to make a big-time throw, he did. When he needed to lift the level of play from his teammates, guys that weren't mainstays, he did. When he needed to make a run and fake out a linebacker or a safety, he did. When he needed to get physical inside and dish out some punishment and break a tackle, he did it. He handled everything that was thrown his way. And that's not easy against a Bill Belichick defense. Now, we later found out Matt Judon tested positive for COVID. A couple other guys on defense tested positive as well. They just looked out of it. The Patriots didn't look like themselves defensively in that game. Would they get embarrassed by the Buffalo Bills in the postseason? That would shock me. I would expect a really close game with Bill Belichick and his coaching staff 
preparing for another look at Josh Allen and with the stakes being even higher. The question becomes, how does Mac Jones handle himself, a rookie in that situation? He didn't play well in that game, and he certainly has looked like a rookie more so the last month of the season compared to the first two months of the season. But with that said, I have a lot of faith in him as a competitor, and I would look at a game like that, even though Buffalo would be favored as a pick'em type type of game. We were on the golf course about, I want to say two months ago, a couple of buddies, and they're all aboard the Justin Herbert bandwagon. And listen, I get it. He's physically gifted. You did his game last Sunday. He's got a rocket of an arm. But I, I caused a lot of grief within the foursome, suggesting that I would rather have Joe Burrow as my quarterback. No knock on Ooh. Herbert, but Burrow is a badass, Ian. I mean, he's a badass. <laughs> he's got this it factor about him. He's got this leadership element that he brings to the table. Like, I didn't get to see Joe Namath, obviously. I didn't even really get to see Joe Montana for most of his career. But this guy's Joe Cool. I mean, I'm watching him against the Chiefs. He's lighting them up. Then he's lighting the cigars up as they clinch the division after the fact. Um, I know you're calling both of these guys games, and they're both studs. But I don't think I'm crazy to say, Ian, that if I had a choice in building my franchise around Burrow or Herbert, I don't think picking Burrow is necessarily a bad choice. I no, don't. it's a legitimate debate. So the idea that that would be a one-sided debate is not fair. Joe Burrow has got uh, the presence about him. And the physical skills are really good. They just don't pop through the screen like a Justin Herbert. Herbert, it's from central casting. He's got a big body. He's got a howitzer for an arm. And all of the attributes that you look for in a franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow seems to bring some intangibles along with the physical abilities. So I see the debate. I had that game in particular, Cincinnati against the L.A. Chargers as well, and the Bengals didn't play all that well uh, in that game. And uh, Herbert looked the part once again. But there have been dips with Herbert. It's first year in this offense, uh, Joe Lombardi's offense, which uh, we know was born from that New Orleans style. And in talking to Herbert this week, he was pretty forthright. He's like, hey, I'll be the first to tell you, it's been challenging. I still have a lot to learn. I have a handle on it, but the vernacular is completely different. The checks and the kills are completely different. And I do think it's been a little bit of an adjustment period for him because if you look at some of the mistakes he's made this year compared to his rookie year, it feels like it should be reversed that a bunch of the things we've seen in games this year should have happened last year, and the maturity that he showed in his rookie season not making those mistakes felt like a seven-, eight-year veteran. So it's all going to even out in the wash. I think they're both really big-time players, and they are the next wave, as Tom Brady and as Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, as we know, exit the NFL. This next generation is led by those two in particular. Patrick Mahomes has already won a championship. He's already won an MVP award. So we know he's solid. He's solidified that. We know where he stands. These two guys are going to be in the conversations like that for the next five, seven, ten years. You got the swan song for Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday. Steelers-Ravens. It's weird that it's a Week 18 game and both teams basically need an inside straight to make the playoffs. I mean, the Steelers need the Jacksonville Jaguars to win a game. So we know that's asking a lot. But have you, Ian, in your years of doing all of these broadcasts, NFL games, 
NBA games. Have you ever prepared for a broadcast with like the the swan song in many ways being the number one storyline? Yeah, I think I've had a few of them, maybe not at this level with Big Ben, where it's so absolute, at least seemingly. The issue, though, is what you just laid out. There's still a chance. So I think we have to be a little bit careful in making this a complete love letter to Ben Roethlisberger, only to see the Pittsburgh Steelers qualify for the postseason. You're you're right. They're asking the Jacksonville Jaguars to beat the Indianapolis Colts. But as we know, especially this year in the NFL, weird stuff has happened. Every week there has been a shocking result where you thought you had a handle on things around the league. And then you walk away saying, man, did I just completely misread this situation or is this just a bizarre year? And I think it's really more of the latter. With that said, we're going to give Ben Roethlisberger his just due. I'm curious, even in our production meeting, I'm sure he's going to talk about it and the emotions involved in it, but he's a competitor. He's trying to win a game. Steelers are trying to stay alive. The Colt game is happening the same time as the Steeler game. So we'll keep updating the score. We'll keep our eye on that one. But stranger things have happened, as we know, in the NFL and certainly this season in the league. Whenever you think you've got this thing figured out, something wacky takes place that makes you start from ground zero and rethink your position. Totally get that. Final one, you know, you have been calling NFL games, I feel like, my entirety as a sports fan. Uh, when, when did you start doing NFL games on, on television? 96, 95? 98. 1998 with CBS. All right, so, all right, I got you by a couple of years then. Yeah. Not, but why do I bring that up? Because John Madden passed last week. And yeah. when I think about me as a little kid, Learning the game, like baseball, I played, it, it, it kind of was something that it was just very easy for me to understand, you know, see ball, hit ball, yeah. the nuances, the intricacies. Football was different. I didn't play organized football as like a five-year-old or as a six-year-old. So in many ways, I learned the game from John Madden teaching me the game. So for you as a guy who is this broadcaster through and through, you've worked with so many different partners over the years. Is there one particular takeaway that you have from your years of watching Madden on the grand stage with Summerall, with Michaels, whoever, and any anything that you take from the legacy of Madden? Well, I think he made the game digestible for the average viewer. He didn't talk above them, over their head. He included them. And he was such a unique guy in that he did things that had not been done before in making it fun, but combining it with knowledge and passion. There were guys that would have fun on the air. Andy Don Meredith was a lot of fun on Monday Night Football. Crack jokes, uh, would react to uh, different shots that the director would take on the air, and you could find yourself laughing. He would rip Howard Cosell. So there were yucks in Monday Night Football, but he wasn't teaching the game like John was. John, from my understanding, recognized that TV coverage at that point wasn't catering to what he thought the target audience was. He thought there was a way to break through to not just the football fan, but to uh, the average person that maybe didn't want to admit they didn't fully understand what they were looking at. 
And I think that's where his quality really resonated. And then the other part of it, which became more obvious with each stop that he made along the way, he was a tremendous performer. People may not see it in that light, but when that red light came on, this guy had it. He knew how to cut through. And whether it was the combination of his voice, his vocabulary, his look, he had an everyman quality, but he had the intellect way above that. And he understood what worked, what didn't. In the moment, he had the instincts to make you stop what you were doing to watch the game. He changed broadcasting. And I know that sounds like a pretty extreme statement, but he really did. He now gave license to those that wanted to get into this field to combine personality and knowledge. And he paved the way for others to do that, but he's never been duplicated. That's the crazy part. There were a bunch of guys that took a page out of Madden's book right after he broke through. There were a lot of bigger guys, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, uh, that would get down and dirty and descriptive, but there was never another John Madden. He he truly was was one of a kind and and was a giant in the industry. Thanks so much for doing this. And I don't know what's more likely in 2022. Iron Eagle on Instagram, Iron Eagle on Cameo. Why do I bring up Cameo? I want to send you my updated golf swing with play by play. <laughs> So I was hopeful that I could throw a couple of shekels in the Iron Eagle Cameo Fund, wherever it's going these days, whatever yeah. your charity of choice may be, so I can have that detailed video. Um, you know, who needs Nance when I got Iron, you know? Yes, that and, and of course, my my bidet podcast in 2020. I can't forget about the bidet. I'm so excited. I mean, we can never oh, forget about the Oh, my gosh. Bidet. I mean, not that you need more jobs and more work, but, you know, I'm, uh, I, I can't wait to subscribe. And who knows? If you don't have a... Uh, you don't have a pitch, man. Maybe I bring it to Simmons. You never know. By the end of the week, you might have a podcast. I mean, JJ, spending the day on a bidet is not work. It's not oh, work it's, at all. It's not work at all. It's nothing but the best. Listen, happy new year, buddy. I love you. Thanks for doing this. And uh, continued success. We'll be watching, okay? All right, brother. We'll do it again soon, man. The great Iron Eagle. Always on fire. Always delivers. And maybe we'll pitch that podcast. You never know. All right, voicemails. They're coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Okie dokie, folks. Voicemail time. Number 917-382-1151. That's where we make our magic. We also have the return of Trivia Tuesday and Wednesday. Don't forget about that. But voicemails, hot heavy. Let's hear them. What's up, JJ? Sean from the Beach House down in Belmar. Watching the Knicks get a win. Watching RJ play well. Watching Randall play well. And still feeling it's just a laborious offensive team. And I'm out there. I'm scouring. I'm looking around. I'm looking at rosters. I'm looking for a trade. I'm looking for a way to get this team incrementally better. I'm looking at the Pistons. I'm looking at Sacramento. I'm looking at Houston, teams that should be looking to trade. And I just feel like in the modern NBA, it is so hard to get your team even incrementally better. feels like everybody's working uh, off the same algorithm and values players the same way. 
there's just not a way to, to really get leverage and make yourself better unless players collude to join your team all at once or unless you just hit that lottery ticket literally in the lottery or later in the draft. And, you know, like, yeah, it's a win. It's a home win. 7-11 at home. Get a win over Pacers. I want to be more enthusiastic. Is there is there a way to make this team incrementally better without, like, the crazy dreams of Zion and all that? That's my question, man. Thanks for your time, JJ. Peace. That's a very, very good question. And I guess my top-out answer would be the development of guys that you have on this team that are young players. Barrett giving you a lot more nights like you saw here this evening against the Pacers. Games from quickly. Games from Toppin. Even at times what I've seen from McBride and Grimes, they've shown some positive elements. Things that are, I think, intriguing to watch for over the next couple weeks, next couple months. But I think it's changing the vibe and the mix of this team. And what I really want to figure out is R.J. Barrett a main key cog in what you want to do? Is R.J. Barrett somebody that you're looking to move? I don't think there's an untouchable on this thing, team. Let me make that perfectly clear. In the right deal, I'm basically willing just to move just about anybody. And I like R.J.'s game. I think R.J. is going to be a very good NBA player. But for the right trade, the right move, I'm, I'm all ears. And that should be the approach of this front office. Because last year was fun. This year, they're only a game off where they were a season ago, which is crazy to think about. The problem is the Easter Conference is a heck of a lot better. And the Knicks rattled off a crap load of wins at the end of the year. So, a lot of factors there. A lot of factors. But I don't think this current group, this current core is good enough. But that's not breaking any ground. I think we all know that. Who's next? Hey, what up, JJ? Danny from Edison here. Want to talk a little Giants, man? I'm I'm sitting here thinking about this, and uh, John Mara. When you really think about it, John Mara has pulled the wool over our eyes for the better part of what almost two decades since he took over for the old man. Because those Super Bowls, in my opinion, have masked the fact that he's not a good owner. You know, he. You think about it. He inherited, you know, the team that his dad and Ernie Acorsi, you know, helped build. And, and he and Jerry Reese, you know, they, they won with that team like a couple of years later. And then, you know, Jerry Reese, one thing he did a decent job of was while he still had the old four there, he would add pieces. And they won again. They got, they got that second Super Bowl, which was like a curse in disguise as a blessing, I think. As much as you would never give it back as a fan, I think if they hadn't won that, so many things would have changed so, so long before, you know, they did or before they're going to, you know, so many things would be different. That Super Bowl was like a Band-Aid that masked how bad the direction that franchise was going. And, like, when you look at it, since everything of his father's has cleared out and it's been all him, the coaches, the, the front office, all his decisions, it's been horrible. So I really think he's just a bad owner who we just gave a reputation of being a good owner because his name's Mara, you know? And, and, I, and that sucks because it's like, as much as you, Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman are the problem, I feel like like they're, they're a symptom of, of the illness that is John Mara. John Mara is a disease, and these two clowns are just symptoms of the disease. Unless he gives the franchise over to, to a football guy who knows what they're doing and stays out of the way, then the same things are going to happen. It's just going to be different symptoms that are similar. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just uh, I'm sick of it. But let me say real quick, 
Your boy Jason Cass has been the man on Twitter. Dude is always there all season long. I won three top, three uh, fantasy titles. Bounced a lot of stuff off him, especially the last couple of weeks. I was probably annoying him, but the guy was cool as hell. Answered every one of my tweets. Like big, big off to Jason Cass. I just wanted to put that out there. Guy did a great job, and uh, so do you, JJ. Take care. Well, I appreciate that, Danny. Listen, Katz was a rock star for us throughout this fantasy year. We can't thank him enough. Now, you nailed something about Mara that's spot on. He's finally getting the heat and pound that he deserves and got way too long a leash and way too long of a free pass for the dysfunction and the issues that have been apparent with the Giants for quite a while. I think Mara is finally feeling it in more ways than one from the fan base. One thing I got to correct you on, though, you never give back the Super Bowl title. Against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots, no, 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 no. Because there are so many fans like myself and Jet fans like Stefan and Fleegs and all the Jet fans that I know who haven't witnessed the Super Bowl. I can't even mention Beningo because he was alive in 1969. 90% of this audience was not. Those are so hard to come by, you cherish those. But since that second Super Bowl, the Giants have been, and this is not exaggerating, this is not beating around the bush, one of the worst-run organizations in the NFL. And if they're going to stay disjointed, keeping this coach, bringing in a new GM, I think it ends up being more of the same. I really do. This is the perfect opportunity to start a new. Perfect opportunity. Last but not least on voicemails, what do we got? What's up, JJ? This is Jared in Jersey. Calling in with some end-of-the-year Jets thoughts. I know they've got one more game to go, but this year's over for all intents and purposes. So I got a few big-picture points to make. I'd love to hear your thoughts on one of them or all of them. Um, so first point is that I think the expectations for next year is that this team should be a playoff team. Um, I know they had four wins this year, but Cincinnati and Philly also had four wins last season and are now in playoff positioning both with young head coaches and were in similar crappy positions as this team was in the previous years. So um, just use them as models for going from four wins to the playoffs. And really that should be the standard that this team preaches and the expectations. Now, of course, nobody really expects them, expects them to be a playoff team next year. That is because they have so many holes to fill. Um, you can look at pretty much every single position on the roster, maybe aside from the quarterback who we know isn't changing and they could use upgrades or they're below league average at that position. And that brings me to my point of why is that the case? That There's no reason this defense couldn't have been uh, average to, um, you know, second tier defense in the league that next year, once we have year two of the, the quarterback, that they're already a playoff position team, but they're literally the worst defense in the NFL. And so now on top of grooming the quarterback and the offense around him, we have to figure out a defense too. And to me, that falls right on the shoulders of Joe Douglas. It's year two and a half of him. I'm going to be year three next year. And on top of trying to build out an offense, now the defense is the worst in the league too. And I don't want to hear about a rebuild because honestly, there's no excuses to have this defense be so terrible. Any of the draft picks in 2020 could have been contributors to the defense or signing guys like Jared Davis that didn't help at all. And I know Carl Lawson got injured, but I don't want to hear it every team has injuries. Um, and my last point is they got to change the uniforms. I know this 
doesn't really matter about the product on the field, but they're ugly and they remind me of Adam Gaze. So they got to change them as soon as they can, which I know is in a year or two. So those are my thoughts. Sorry about your Dolphins getting blown out. Um, welcome to the pain that we feel pretty much week in and week out. So take care, JJ. Appreciate the call. I'm with you on the Jet uniforms, and I'll throw the Dolphin uniforms in there too. Go back to the throwbacks. The Jet uniforms with, with Sanchez and with Pennington, those are great uniforms. Go back to those. The Dolphins should go back to their 70s uniforms. They're one of the best uniforms in sports. Why it's not the logo, why it's not the uniform, I have no idea. It's one of those things that just gets me going. It bothers me to no end. As far as the Jets, this defense got to get a lot better. Personnel is not good enough. They got two top 10 draft picks. They got cap space galore. They'll have Lawson coming back. They got to be a middle of the pack defense next year. I'm not putting a playoff mandate on 2022. You can't be 4-13 and 13 again. That in the hunt graphic, at some point, I got to see the Jets in 2022. That's kind of my standard for the year. Whether you like it or not, that's my standard. Okay, trivia time. The return of Trivia Tuesday and a Wednesday. And I haven't done this in a while. We'll see how rusty I am. All right, what do we have? JJ, Larry and Forty. Happy New Year to you you and the crew. Here's a few trivia. Kyle Pitts is the fourth tight end in NFL history with 60-plus receptions. In, a, in, the, in his rookie season, who are the other three? Second one is Aiden Hutchinson was a Heisman finalist this year. Who was the last Michigan player to be a Heisman finalist? I'm out. Two outstanding questions from Larry. Outstanding. I don't know how confident I am, but stay tuned. Our answers are coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, Larry, here goes nothing. I need to name the other three rookie tight ends, 60-plus receptions. All right, I'm starting with two guys right out of the gate. Shannon Sharp, number one. Oh, and I said that with such confidence. All right, the other one, Pony Gonzalez. Wow, the two guys that I thought were surefire Hall of Fame tight ends, not my answers. Interesting. All right, we're going to go more modern then. Aaron Hernandez. Wow, I am whiffing like crazy. All right, I'm throwing one more out there, and then uh, it's Slim Pickens. Rob Gronkowski. Wow, I am. This is embarrassing. This is absolutely embarrassing. All right, I'm taking one more guess, and then I'm waving the white flag on this because I have no. Is Jimmy Graham on this list? Kellen Winslow? <laughs> 
is it? Uh, two Giants. Evan Ingram. That Correct. bothers me. And then the other one, and then the other one is Jeremy Shockey. Two thousand two. Yeah, I'm naming uh, all tight ends that are Hall of Famers or, or studs, and Evan Ingram is on this list. Yep. I mean, <laughs> uh, and then uh, the the final one was in 1988. Oh, jeez, I have no idea. All right, this guy, 1988, drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. Drafted by the Eagles, they spent most Play- of his career with the Eagles. Uh, a couple years, then played for your Dolphins in the early 90s. Finished it out with the Packers. Um, Johnny went, Mitchell? He went to, Arkham, he went to Oklahoma, I'm sorry. I, first round pick. I don't know. I do not know. Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson. Yeah. yeah. A tough one. <laughs> yeah, he, he had some success with Marino. Okay. All right. That was, Larry, listen, that was, that was probably my worst performance on any question we've had so far, so. Shame on me for that one. All right, so the last Michigan player to be a Heisman finalist. The last Michigan player to be a Heisman finalist. I'm going to say it's Denard Robinson. Okay. Okay. Offensive or defensive player, Saruti? Defensive. Ooh. Oh, Jabril Peppers. There you go, 2016. I knew it was either Donato Robinson or Jabril Pepper. So a much better recovery there for me with the Michigan Wolverine question. We got one more to go. I mean, it can't be any worse than that. Happy New Year, John. Charlie from Elmhurst. Uh, I'm redoing this uh, voice business because my last one sucked. So, um, so Test Trivia is back, so uh, uh, I'd like to participate in it. And please excuse my voice because my throat is throat uh, from the sh- not from the shot, I guess, but anyway, this hope it gets better. But anyway, trivia. So I hope you find well with the Christopher Nolan's legendary The Dark Knight trilogy. And this is from trivia from The Dark Knight Rises, and it's football related. So you remember that scene, uh, Rapid City against Gotham Rogues, the football scene where. Bane blow up the field. They made a impressive statement. Blah 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 blah. So there, there were five NFL players and one former NFL head coach made a made a cameo appearance. Could you name those players? Now, these six uh, people, these uh, who appeared in the cameo, uh, had ties with one of the flagship. Uh, respectable franchise. And one of the player at the moment still active and very well known. And three to six, three to six, you should, it should be very obvious. The other three, not so much. So you should need to get help. You should try to navigate through Mr. Cerruti with this hint. So, um, yes. Uh, Please take care and yeah, talk to you. Well, Charlie, I know exactly what you're referencing because it's very apropos to Ben Roethlisberger, former Pittsburgh Steelers. The coach is Bill Cowher, Ben Roethlisberger, Heinz Ward, that's three, Antonio Brown. No, Antonio Brown. Brett Kiesel? No, Brett Kiesel. 
you're close. You're so close. So it's a different wide receiver and a different defensive end. Is it Mike Wallace? Different defensive end. Oh, man. You got two more. The, it was the other big white guy defensive end. Not TJ Watt. Mm. This would have been years ago. No. Who, 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 is, who is it? Who's the defensive end? Tough one. It's, uh, it's Aaron Smith. I would have never gotten easy that. To be, easy to be lost. Yeah, and Kiesel was the guy. I'm missing, I'm missing one more, right? You're missing one more um, offensive lineman. Villanueva. No, it's Pouncey. It's Maurice Pouncey. There you go. It's Maurice Pouncey. See, Charlie, I knew. I knew Pittsburgh still is related. All right. Good job, all things considered, with the trivia. Good to be back. Sammy P is coming up next. So before we say goodbye, we got to welcome back a long-lost pal. And his long-lost pal, the bartender, had the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. And that's when I knew my pick was dead to rights. My team's season was dead to rights. Sam Panionovic, Nesson, Fox Bet. I'm not happy with the bartender right now. Just throwing that out there. I'm not happy with the bartender. I'm only your long-lost pal because you haven't called me since the Red Sox bounced the Yankees in the playoffs. Well, I, now that you work for Nesson, it might have been a sensitive subject, you know? <laughs> it might have been. Even though you're not exactly embracing Red Sox Nation considering your Chicago ties, but that, that did not sit well with me. Having to hear from Simmons and all the other Red Sox fans that I know it was sickening. Second yeah, and Simmons, I don't know how many Red Sox games Simmons watched this year. I guess I should. No, I got to be fair. He was into it this year. Got to be fair. He's dialed in. He was dialed in this year. I, I, I can't speak on other years, but Bill, from the random text that I would get at like 1030 or 11 o'clock at night, watched a lot more Red Sox baseball maybe than he did in years past. Just saying. It's going to be a hell of an AL East this year. I know that's why that's not why we're here, but you think about the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Rays, and then. Who's got a better rotation than the Blue Jays? And a Blue That's Jays division. lineup, you got Bichette and you got Guerrero Jr. and Gurriel and Springer. That team is loaded. Sammy, if the Yankees don't make some moves when this lockout ends, they're going to finish in fourth place. Remember I said that. If they don't make some serious moves to the team, that has fourth place team written all over it. What else going on, my friend? Uh, aside from my Dolphins being eliminated, uh, <laughs> I have loaded up on Georgia every which way. Give credit where credit is due. Sam tweeted this out. He gave it out on Fox Bet. He gave it out on Nesson. Love Georgia and Alabama at plus money. He's cashing a ticket no matter what happens in Monday night's championship game. But, Sammy, after what I saw from Georgia against Michigan and the idea that I think there's going to be a lot of public sentiment, Nick Saban plus money, how do you go against him? He owns Kirby Smart. I just think Georgia's better. I can't see them losing the Bama twice in five weeks. Uh, you on the same page here? You riding Georgia on Monday night? Georgia is better, for sure. And I think the worst thing working against Alabama is that Bryce Young has already seen this Georgia defense, which is better, I would argue, for Georgia. And the biggest elephant in the room is that John Mechie, Alabama's best receiver, is gone with a torn ACL. So he's out of the equation. And when he's on the field, you're able to do a lot of different things schematically that Georgia just wasn't ready for. Now that there's film on Young, now that they've seen Young, and now that he's down his best weapon, Mechie was an NFL receiver. He still is, but, you know, the injury is definitely going to set him back a bit. I have my concerns about Alabama playing an A-plus game twice against that Georgia defense. You notice, too, JJ, that the market, you know, the first book that threw this up 
during the Georgia-Michigan game, threw up a Georgia minus one. And that got blasted very quickly to two, two and a half. By the time we got to Monday, Tuesday, it's Georgia minus three. But from what I gather from who I talk to, most sports books, DraftKings, FanDuel, Bet Rivers, the Vegas books, the offshore books, 65, 70% of the bets on Alabama. So while more bets are on Bama because it's, oh my God, it's Nick Saban catching points. The market is being driven from one to three by respected play. So take from that what you must. I hate betting against the sharp money. Uh, the sharp money doesn't usually go against Alabama, but when it does, you have to pay attention to that. Uh, I am. I'm all over it. I love that trend and the fact that I don't see Georgia losing Alabama twice. Kirby Smart blows this game up, so be it. I will be riding Georgia every which way. Now, I saw this. You had Mac Jones to win Rookie of the Year. And at the beginning oh, of the season, God. let's be honest, that was a bold choice. We didn't know if he was going to start. There was uncertainty. Is it going to be Trevor Lawrence? Is it going to be Justin Fields? Is it going to be so-and-so? And Sammy, you were sitting pretty, bro, until Jamar Chase basically pulled the Jerry Rice and, and caught every touchdown known to men. Um, where, if any is the regret of not getting a middle there. Did you ever think about getting a middle there with Jamar Chase or no? I thought about it. We were logged into the apps. We saw Chase about plus 350. I think this was right before the Patriots played the Bills the first time around. And the Pats were hot. Mac was minus 600. You know, you had to lay six to win one. And I thought, he's not going to lose this. And then the three following games... Mac had, what, two completions against Buffalo, and then the Patriots had back-to-back -back losses. In that window, Jamar Chase also had a dud. He caught one ball for three yards against Denver in Week 15, but recency bias plays such a factor in these awards. Week 16, he has seven grabs for a buck 25, and this past weekend against Kansas City, number one seed in the AFC, 11 grabs, 266, three touchdowns. I just still, I can't justify the way this market has moved where heading into this past weekend, Mac is minus 400, minus 425 to now chase being minus 200 to minus 225. You're telling me that the market's going to shift $6 after one game. That just doesn't, it doesn't make sense in my brain, but it's clear that the sports books don't want to write any more bets on Jamar Chase? I, I think, honestly, if you were to put a true number on this at this point, comparing the full season resumes, I think it should be minus 110 each way right now. The fact that it's minus 220, minus 200 on Chase, that leads me to believe that there's relative value given the numbers on Mac Jones at plus 180 or so. Do you agree or disagree? I do. And normally they give the quarterback the benefit of the doubt when it comes to these sort of awards, we've seen it with the MVP. We've seen it with Offensive Rookie of the Year. Plenty of cases, plenty of instances. Um, Chase has been so damn good, though, dude. I don't know if I'd be willing to go minus 110. Sammy, how's minus 135 for Jamar Chase? That's probably what I think the true odds would be, at least in my estimation. We can meet in the middle, maybe minus a quarter. Either sure. way, the fact okay. of the matter is minus 200, minus 225, makes no sense but this is what the sports books will do late in season you're seeing it in the offensive rookie of the year 
You're seeing it in the comeback player of the year award where Dak was minus 500 two weeks ago. And now him and Burrow are both very close, like minus 140 and plus 110 or something. And you're seeing it in the MVP where Aaron Rodgers three weeks ago is plus 500. And now he's minus 400. You see these colossal shifts. It's because the books have to circumvent the recency bias. Because what happens after Kansas City loses to Cincinnati? Everybody wants to bet Jamar Chase. Everybody. And and they're essentially going to make it expensive to bet Chase because they know if they make it Chase minus 10, Chase minus 30, even Chase minus 50, they're going to just write it up anyway. So it's a balancing act on the liability of the money that they've written on Chase from the start. Remember, he was 15 to 1 before the season. He was, you know, six to one a month in. He was four to one a month ago. So all of that liability has built up to a position where the books don't want to write any more money on Chase. And my advice to you would be if you're looking to bet now, you should not lay minus 225 on Jamar Chase because it's the most expensive. It's literally been all season. You missed the boat. That's the best way to look at it. You missed the boat. We don't want to miss the boat when it comes to futures odds for the Super Bowl. I got a decent number on the Rams. Not going to lie, Sammy. I'm seeing them at 8-1 to one right now. I got them at 15-1 to one earlier in the year. Green Bay's the favorite. Missed the boat. I should have taken Kansas City in like week five or week six. I screwed up there. No value as far as I'm concerned at 4-1. to one. Let me throw this one at you. Tennessee Titans. They're going to get the one seed if they win on Sunday. They're going to get Derrick Henry back. 12-1. to one. They win, they're a one seed. They got a first round buy. You buying that, Sam, or no? Not enough juice. At the number, yeah, I love it. It's a funny conversation, though, because if you were to ask me, do you like Tennessee to win the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But at 12 to one, I'm like, ooh, like I start to get a little fancy. Like I start thinking about it. I love to bet on good teams that nobody wants to touch. Some people are like, well, the Titans stink. What? What are we they stink. About? Have they watched them play? I mean, do they know how Mike Vrabel coaches? That guy's I a love badass. Vrabel. I oh, think me Vrabel too. Should be, His I think team's should a, be he's coach. coach of the year. How are they talking up Zach Taylor as coach of the year when you go and lose your MVP in Derrick Henry? Explain that one to me, Sam. Recency bias. I just literally told you. It's what have these markets told you lately. It's that Joe Burrow's the best quarterback that's ever lived. Jamar Chase is a Pro Bowl receiver and will go to the Hall of Fame. And that Zach Taylor is the next Sean McVay. That's all built into these markets. Coach of the year, you could find Vrabes at four to one. I mean, who's put together a better season with a guy who was spare parts in Ryan Tannehill? Derrick Henry's been out for weeks. Julio Jones rolls out of bed, rolls an ankle. And A.J. Brown's been on and off the field. So given the lack of the full roster and the fact that they have still kept a top seed in a crazy AFC conference. I think it's even more respect for Mike Rabel, but the way people are betting Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur, it makes it, it makes it okay because the books would rather have Taylor and LaFleur win than have Rabel win at this point, because like, that's what, that's what the numbers tell you. Like, they're not trying to write any more bets on Taylor or LaFleur. They're trying to write Vrabes. How about Belichick, too? He was like minus 110 a month ago. Now he's 20 to 1. The, the dips and the swings and the slings in these future markets, if you chart coach of the year, MVP, 
rookie of the year, you do this next year. Chart the top three or four guys from week one through week 17 and look at all the different buy points you have. You could realistically have Zach Taylor at 30 to one, Matt LaFleur at 25 to one, Mike Frabel at 40 to one, and Bill Belichick at 30 to one if you bought the dip on all four of those cats. And I know a lot of guys, JJ, they're not betting random Plinko NFL games on a Sunday. Like they're not laying six points with a random NFL game. They are buying futures like stock portfolios. And if any of the three or four guys they invest in win, they make more money than you can imagine in a week 17, week 18 one-off on a Sunday. It's insane. What's the biggest advice you give to anybody out there who's betting week 18? There are so many games that mean absolutely nothing this week. Then you have narratives of motivation. Do you buy that? Do you tread lightly? You're going to pay for it in certain instances. Biggest advice, Sammy, for anybody betting these week 18 games. You don't have to bet. I hate to tell you that because everybody loves action. I love to scratch a good itch. I've made one bet so far. I took Chicago plus three against Minnesota because I, from what I can gather and from what I've heard around Minnesota is that nobody wants to be there. They have quit on the head coach. Uh, Kirk Cousins might not play. Dalvin Cook might not play. Adam Thielen is out for the year. Their offensive line is wishy-washy. And the attitude of the leadership in that room is ready for the next coach. And, and I think that's an angle to think about. Rather than try and handicap a game like Pittsburgh and Baltimore, where you know like both teams are probably going to try and play, you want to find the sinking ship. And I only see a couple on the board. And, and Minnesota is certainly one of them. And how about that look-ahead number? Minnesota was minus six in that game last week, heading into the weekend. Minnesota minus two and a half, minus two now. The Sharp guys are pounding Chicago. Chicago clearly trying to win. That team has been on the up and up. Granted, they haven't played the greatest teams in the world. But look at how Chicago has played in the last handful of weeks. And look at how Minnesota's played. Minnesota's a better team. They've got more talent, but Minnesota has waved the white flag. They want no part of this game. They have underachieved where the Bears are right where we thought they'd be, to quote the late great Danny Green. The Bears are, are literally who we thought they were. Minnesota was supposed to win nine, nine and a half, ten games and contend for a playoff spot, and that whole thing is about to get blown up, and I would not bet on a team like Minnesota in the final week. I'll give you another one, the Giants. That is another sinking ship. Sure. I, I'd be all over the football team on Sunday. You're going to have to pay for it, but I'd be all over the football team. The Giants have quit on the year. They've quit. And that's another. That's an interesting game because here's what happens behind the corner of the sports book. You open four, Washington four, and then you write it to six, six and a half, seven. You know this. When it gets to seven, there's going to be a group of wise guys that go, oh, we got to bet that number. They're not betting on the Giants. They're betting on plus seven. So that seven is going to hold because it's the most key number in football, right? Seven is the biggest, fattest, roundest number. People love to take the seven. But, JJ, I, I would argue, and I've argued this for years, betting great numbers on shitty teams is not a good strategy. Like, you know, like if you were to just say, all right, take the seven, that makes sense. But take the seven on the Giants? Oh, Oh, the great Sam Panionovich. He's all over the place. He's full of wisdom. I hope to see you up in Boston or in Vegas or wherever you're traveling these days. Thanks for thanks for uh, stopping by. You know where to find us, by the way. And if the bartender is going to take the Dolphins again, don't let him. 
That's my advice. Don't let I apologize that the bartender ruined the dolphin season, but Hey, this is a guy who has a couple of shots and he all of a sudden is an NFL handicapper. And, uh, you know, he had a good start this season, but now he's 20 and 22. Let's remember last season, he was 11 and 23. So the cream always rises or in this case, it sinks. Sammy, good stuff, brother. We'll chat soon. Okay. See you, buddy. The great Sammy Patianovich. Before we say goodbye, Jeff Money, hit me, baby. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to pick for the National Championship College football game on Monday, January the 10th. I'm going to roll with Georgia minus the three over Alabama. So that's going to be my pick, Georgia minus the three. I know it's early with the picks, but there's not a lot to choose from. So that's what I'm going to go. And I have a feeling you're going to go with that too. So anyway, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. I love it. Jeff Money going against the public money, going against Nick Saban. And normally it's not smart going against Nick Saban. We're doing it here. I'm with you. Georgia, every which way. I got him on the money line. And I'm going to be investing more on Georgia between now and next Monday. We're back Thursday. Monster Football Friday. Regular season finale. Thank heavens for the New York teams. We'll be the Joe Judge finale for the New York Giants. Stay tuned. JJ, signing off. Good work, fellas. Outstanding work. Be good, everybody.